Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me, Bill Arnold, with you this afternoon for next couple of hours, and I'm excited that we can have this time together. For some of you, uh, your home, maybe you've got the radio on in the background because you're officing, working from home. Um, there's fewer cars out there, as I see, as I'm g- gazing out the window of the studio and a lot less traffic on the roads, so a lot fewer people in their car listening to Faith Radio, but hopefully you're still keeping in touch with us and getting a chance to listen, even if it's on podcast. You can always head over to MyFaithRadio.com, which is our webpage, and and head over and listen to any of the great shows that are on the network. But in this hour, a guy talk is going to be happening just in the next uh, minute or two. We're going to get things started, which always means we welcome your questions. We welcome uh, an issue you might be struggling with, something that you've heard us say you want us to clarify. Uh, we are very interested in hearing from you. 877-933-2484. You know, the guys that gather around this table, we don't always agree on stuff, but we love to talk about it and talk it out and and uh, weigh in on, on uh, what God's Word is saying. And we're going to do a lot more of that in the next hour. So again, the number 877-93-FAITH. My power panel today is Dr. Peter Kapsner, uh, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Tom Parrish, and me. Uh, Justin is out today, so we're going to give him a full day off and expect to see him next week on the power panel. So let's take 60 seconds and be right back. Hi, I'm Carter Dreblo, Director of Media Advancement for Faith Radio. Our spring fundraiser is coming soon, and I want to invite you to prayerfully partner with us in support of our ministry. Faith Radio is funded exclusively through contributions from friends like you, so you play a key part in helping us reach our operating goals. And keeping Faith Radio strong means the gospel message goes out every day and lives are changed. So join us for Spring Share beginning April 14, or make your gift today at 877-933-2484. Thank you. Faith Radio is good news you can count on. Just as he stood one day outside the tomb of Lazarus and shouted, Lazarus, come forth! He's going to come back from heaven and shout to all of us, come forth from your graves and come up to heaven to be with me. So glad to have Guy Talk this hour. Dr. Peter Kapschner, say hello. Hey, Bill. How are you? I'm good. Nice to have you on the program. Pastor Tom Brock, say hello. There you go, Tom. Say hi. <laughs> all right. Tom, Tom Parrish, is he there? Yeah, he's there, too. I'm hey, here. Tom. Yeah, there we go. See, oh, we're didn't, all, didn't hear him. I'm here, Bill. Yeah, we're all on uh, on phone, so it's always a little bit... Uh, who's going to talk next? That's always the the problem. So, quick question, guys: uh, Any uh, Andy Griffith fans on the power panel today? Yes, oh, sir. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, Peter, I didn't hear. 
from you. <laughs> well, that was strategic, but okay. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely I watched some of it growing up for sure. Okay, good. Now there was a a magazine that Barney subscribed to called um, Odd Facts Known by Few, which I thought that was kind of a, a funny title of a magazine. But yesterday was the anniversary of the start of the Apple Company. April first, nineteen seventy six, Apple started, and it's very interesting when you read the story of. Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, obviously those are the names that you hear about, but there was also a, another guy named Ronald Wayne who was in on it from the beginning. He was sort of the 41-year-old adult in the room that was going to help 21- and 25-year-old Jobs and Wozniak kind of settle some of their tension that they were having, kind of act as the tiebreaker, and he was able to get in and own 10% of Apple from day uh, one. Uh, uh. Okay, let's oh, just... Wow. Let's just talk about this because he also had a little slot machine business which failed. And it was very traumatic for him. He went into debt and he spent one year voluntarily repaying all of his debtors because he just he wanted to do the right thing. Good and, for him. Yeah. So Jobs and Wozniak uh, get a $15,000 line of credit to try to fulfill their first job order. And this poor Ronald Wayne, he was so risk adverse that after 10 days, because he had some personal assets at age 41, and he knew that in this corporation, if there was debt, they'd come after him because he had assets. And he decided, he decided that he wanted out. So exactly 12 days later, he sold his 10% of Apple back to these guys for 800 bucks. Oh, wow. Wow. Now I'm going to make a. I'm going to get to a point, believe it or not. And uh, he went on to say that he made the best decision with the information available to him at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, um, and he also said that you know he doesn't you know have regrets, but I don't know if I believe that. But he said I probably would have ended up as the richest man in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. So mm. I think of uh, Mark eight thirty six. what does it profit a man to win the whole world yet lose his own soul? And I also thought of his statement of saying that I made the best decision with the information available to me at the time. So now I think of people listening to Faith Radio right now, and I think, what do you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're in a situation now where people, I think their sensitivity to spiritual things are way up, and I think, what information do you have available to you about salvation, and could I, after listening to this program today, come to a saving faith in Christ, and how would I do it? Hmm. I got a couple of pastors and a theology professor. Let's get going. Okay. <laughs> somebody called me Rock? today, Bill, and they uh, somebody called me today and, and wondered, is this the beginning of the end of the world? Is this one of the signs of the end? And I said to him, you know, the Black Plague in Europe killed more than probably will die of this thing. And, you know, this, these things happen periodically. So the the I'm nervous when people say, see, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah something or other. Well, you know, this has been going on for 2,000 years that people think we're in the end. And now we've got this, and so we must be in the end. No, not necessarily. But the wisdom from the Bible that you're asking for, you know, what do we do about about this and and I just think we need to remind people of eternity that we're all going to die. Are you ready? Do you know your sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ? Are you trusting 
is grace alone to save you, or are you um, just not even uh, uh, thinking about uh, giving your life to Christ? And and you said, how do you do it? Um, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. I would just encourage people that have been drifting or they've never come to Christ to spend some time today, not tomorrow, confessing your sins. Ask God to forgive you. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive your sins. If you've never been baptized, I'd get a uh, somebody to baptize me. I join a good Bible believing church. But this, the thing I say to people on their deathbed are the basics: that Christ died for your sins, He rose from the dead. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. All right, that was beautiful, Pastor Tom Brock. But I, mm-hmm. I will, I will encourage others to continue down this road, whether you want to stay. Whether you want to go on the Roman road or go anywhere else you want. Hmm. Sounds like uh, Pastor Tom Parrish was going to take a big breath and say something. <laughs> Tom, are you there? I could, yeah, I, you know, I could take a whack at it too, Bill. Just, yeah. I mean, I appreciate so much about what um, what Tom Brock was saying. I mean, there's so many different dimensions to this journey of faith, you know, when we think about what's what's at the heart and what it, what is central to the good news of the gospel, what does it mean to have saving faith, those kinds of ideas. And I think another angle that is worth considering uh, during this time is the idea that uh, one, one of the central pieces of sort of that beautiful story that we're going to be celebrating uh, here in a couple weekends of Good Friday and of Easter Sunday is that uh, Jesus not only walked out to death, and, and somewhere in, in some mysterious ways he took a sacrifice or made a sacrifice on behalf of us all in ways that sort of I understand and I, and I don't understand, and, and the Church historically has struggled to understand the fullness of that sacrifice and what it meant. Um, but understanding it or not understanding it doesn't take away from the power of it. It's sort of like eating a really good meal. You don't need to know what all the ingredients are of a good meal in order to really appreciate the beauty and wonder of the meal. So clearly you need to have some, you know, kind of understanding of it, but but the cross has, you know, that that sacrifice is there and something was done on our behalf that set us free from sort of the laws of sin and death that govern this world, which is which is a world lost and broken in darkness and I think we we can walk in illusions and delusions pretty regularly when things seem to be going somewhat okay by whatever metrics we want to say things are okay, whether our relationships are good or our jobs are good or whatever it happens to be. But a virus like this exposes ultimately the fragility and the frailty of putting your trust into the things of this world. And so the second part of that gospel, Easter Sunday, I, I'm so compelled when Paul says in some of his writings, when he says, you know, if the resurrection hadn't happened, our faith would be in vain. And, and what that means is we have to always be really careful not to just reduce down the gospel to what happened on Good Friday. Without diminishing at all what happened on Good Friday, we have to account for Easter Sunday. And and I think the way we account for that is that Jesus was raised, and in his raising, he conquered death. And therefore, all things are under his feet, including death. And and for those to have a saving faith would mean um, faith is just what do you lean into in your life? What do you trust? What do you believe in? What do you surrender to? What what occupies your time and attention and all of that? And and so to have a saving faith is to recognize that really the only way through the waters of death and into a new kind of life is to lean into Jesus for that. And, and as he has beaten death, so we too will beat death. And and he's sort of the first fruit of the new creation that's coming when all of the tears are going to be wiped away, when the world is restored, when the king returns and the new Jerusalem descends and all the language of the biblical text. 
Um, by if you put your faith and trust in anything in this life, you're going to be left wanting. So what would I call saving faith? It is it's just simply a full yielding to Jesus, um, believing that at the end of your life, he's going to pull you through those waters of death into a new kind of life. And ultimately, as we wait then for the fullness of his new creation to come, um, he's got all things under his feet. Who, who else would you trust in life besides Jesus, that being the case? Uh, and so that's what I would encourage people to think about, because there isn't anything else you can put your trust into that can make the same kind of claim. I love that. Let me take a little break. When we come back, it turns out we lost uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, but he's now back on the line. When we come back, we'll let him add his uh, contribution to this wonderful discussion on having the knowledge and the information and knowing that the truth is for you and for you to come to saving faith in Jesus. We'll be right back. back with Guide Talk, and Pastor Tom Parrish has joined us once again. And the setup was, uh, and if you missed the opening, I was talking about Ronald Wayne, who was uh, one of the three founders of Apple, who gave up his 10% of Apple after 10, after 12 days. Um, and then he said he made the decision he made based on the best information he had at the time. And my thought was, after reading that story, is what information do you, the listener, have about Jesus and about God and about uh, your eternal destiny. So I thought, if you need more information, I got a great panel full of guys that can give you great, solid, biblical information. So as we continue this discussion, Tom, I know uh, you'd like to jump in on this as well. I would. Um, I had some really great things to say when I was off air, but (laughs) now I'll try to do them on air. Welcome to my world. In my many years, <laughs> in my many years of trying to lead people to Jesus, and I've been very blessed to have done that, I kept finding that people were receiving Jesus. And when I would do something in the church, like an altar call, I'd never see them again. And as I began to train people to reach out with the gospel, I discovered that all of us need some way to present the gospel in a in a simple package that's heartfelt. And so, not only did I teach the Roman road, which many of you know, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But I would tell people, you don't have to quote it and say that's Romans 3.23. Just state it. Just express it in your own way. And uh, take them through the basic gospel that we're sinners. That, And today when I talk to young people, most of them don't know what the word sin is. But I say to them, okay, uh, do you have any shame or guilt in your life? And I haven't run into a millennial yet that doesn't have shame and guilt in their life. And then I help them understand that's what the Bible means by when we start talking about sin. So I do those kind of things to uh, to help them connect. And uh, then I take them through an ABC process of prayer. You know, I accept what the Bible says about my sin. I believe what the Bible says about Jesus. C, I confess him. And D, I determine now to be a disciple. And I found that when I do that, people stick around and grow up as disciples. I love that. Thank you so much for that, Tom. Let's talk a little bit about spiritual woundedness. I know there's lots of people who show up with stories of a woundedness that never got addressed and healed. You know, maybe when they were younger, they had uh, something happen to them in the church and they felt alienated and they didn't feel welcome anymore. And 
they felt maybe their parents were dragging them to church and they resented that, so they left when they were old enough to do so and haven't come back. So maybe we could address some of that woundedness, or I invite any listener who's got a story of woundedness that they had to overcome to send it in and it contribute to the discussion, 877-933-2484. But what about that, that woundedness that we all have at some point uh, that we struggle with? You know, um, Bill, I appreciate you bringing that up a bit. Um, I can say that from the years of, of teaching young people who often are sort of fresh out of their childhood church that they've grown up in, and, and now they're in the university classroom, and they're 18 to 22-year-olds, because I teach in the field of Christian ministries, we're often talking about life in the church and, and sort of what you learned in your background and how you experienced your faith in the background. And so uh, before I say anything further about that, with the caveat that I really do um, love the church, meaning both the people who are the church, and, and I love being a part of the institution that sort of is the form of our church um, in, in our country, at least, you know, in the Midwest, primarily where, where I spend my time. I really do love it. And so um, any criticism is coming from that place, and, and I have shared in some of the failings of the church as well as I've been in pastoral leadership, and maybe not treating people well or wounding people because maybe I had an, a, an, an office of power in the church that uh, allowed me to make decisions ahead of other people or whatever it might be, right? So I, I will say that the most common theme then that my young people report are being wounded um, by the divisions and strife that often happen in the church. Uh, where people do sort of have power plays with one another and some of the gossip that goes along with that. And what I find that is, I think, such an incredibly important conversation is to be able to say, hey, you know, Jesus's kingdom and the church are two different things. The church is trying to live out and express the beauty and wonder of Jesus's kingdom in, you know, insofar as possible. Uh, but it is filled with frail and sinful people as well. So don't ever lose hope. Don't ever give up about the beauty and wonder of Jesus's kingdom, because it really does exist, even if we only just taste it in part. Um, and please don't reject Jesus, uh, at least the conception maybe of Jesus that you grew up with. Maybe you're rejecting a false idea of who Jesus is and not Jesus himself. And so we spend a lot of time in my classrooms just sort of talking about some of those things. And I'm amazed at uh, how many and what percentage of the students have felt wounded on some level before and and just sort of then to divorce yourself from saying now hang on i am wounded by the church but that doesn't mean that the faith is worth giving up mm -hmm. uh there is a beauty and a wonder that that we can still attend to in this safe to say go ahead uh, well to piggyback on that um peter uh here's what i makes me nervous well i love jesus but i don't like the church i don't go to church anymore but i right. still love jesus i'm thinking uh-huh if you love Jesus, you're going to be in his body called the church. Right. And this churchless Christianity that people have, you know, it wasn't just the Catholic Church. The Reformers also said no salvation outside the church, that if you're truly a believer in Christ, you're not going to uh, ignore his body that, that he's commanded you to be part of. What is that? Uh, Hebrews 10. So just, I mean, I, I was I was at the same church for 29 years. And, you know, now and then you hear people say, well, I don't go to church because I was hurt. Well, uh, I'm sorry, that excuse is not going to hold up on Judgment Day. And I would say to that person, okay, find somebody, talk through your hurt, forgive whoever did whatever. And there are other churches in town, you know, it's not like there's one church that hurts you, but now I'm not going to go to any church ever. To me, that's a little too quick and easy, and that's an excuse that won't stand up on the last day. 
Yeah, I think I, because I, and I hear you on that too, Tom. And that's what that is a concern. And people do really feel that way. You know, I'm religious, but I'm spiritual, but not religious anymore. And I think one of the things we might want to be a, a bit careful about is to make sure that when we think about the church in terms of how it's defined in the New Testament, you're talking about the body of people who have said yes to following Jesus. And when we talk about the church in terms of a sign and ability uh, and a building and an institution and a hierarchy and a staff and a budget, that's simply an organization. That's not actually the church. That's mm -hmm. an organization that's trying to be the wineskin that holds the church. And I would suggest that there have been some really hurtful wineskins that aren't actually the church, but those mm -hmm. wineskins have really hurt people. So yes, we cannot divorce ourselves from the church when we think about it in terms of our fellow believers, our fellow people who have said yes to following Jesus. But I think there can be a legitimate critique when there's things like, you know, sexual abuse or moral mm -hmm. failings oh, or power plays and gossip and division that happens within, unfortunately, some of the wineskins that hold the people who are the church. Mm -hmm. Many times when I teach adult Sunday school in different churches, I've asked them, in your, how many of you have been in the church more than 25 years? And I get a slew of hands, you know, pretty good showing. And I say, in those 25 years or more, how many times has the pastor in a meeting, in a Sunday school class or from the pulpit, literally said, when I said this or that, I was wrong. I sinned against you and against the Lord. Please forgive me. I have never had a single hand raised up. And I think part of the problem is we create this illusion that pastors especially are these, because we want our authority to come across, we want our word to come across, but we're perfect people. And then somehow we get this illusion the church should be that way. But I survived the ministry for 40 years for one simple reason. I believed what the scripture said, we're in John chapter two, where it says Jesus entrusted himself to no man because he knew the heart of all men. That is, he loves us, but he has no illusions about who we are. And I know there are many, many times I could have walked out of the church so hurt and so beaten up. And I had to go back and just simply repent for my part and go back and ask people forgiveness. And when I could receive, you know, really speak to others about what they had done. But it's a tough road and most people don't get it but it's where we need to be because it's not a metaphor. It is the body of Christ. Well said, Tom. That's great. Um, Jim just jumped in with, I hope you're not saying church attendance is necessary for salvation. I don't think any of us are. I think to be part of the church, if you're not part of Christ's church, I'm wondering about your salvation. I mean, anywhere in the New Testament, you find believers uh, living the Christian life all by themselves. I don't know of that. Yes, we're saved by grace alone. You're not saved by A, B, C, or D. You're only saved by the cross. But once you're saved by the cross, I heard somebody say, we're saved by grace alone, but grace never is alone. It always changes your life. And if there's somebody who says they're a follower of Christ, I'm living my life for Christ, I'm trusting grace alone to save me, and they have nothing to do with the church, I, I'm worried about that person's soul. Hmm. What about the people who are in retirement centers who for the last nine years of their life can't get to church? Yeah, that, that'd be different, of course. Yeah. Then the church better come to them, mm -hmm. is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Because being the body of Christ. Yeah, here's the funny part about all of this. You're going to have um, to hold that thought, Tom, until after the break. Okay. we're coming up on a hard break. But we are, you go right ahead. Yeah. Um, we're listening to Guy Talk. We've got uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Pastor Tom Parrish and Pastor Tom Brock. And we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion. If you have any contributions you'd like to make or questions you'd like us to answer or things you'd like us to clarify, that's why we're here. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Guy Talk is happening. Dr. Peter Kapsner is with us, as is pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. And gentlemen, I think this has been an interesting conversation. Uh, Peter, you texted me during the break, which I appreciated. You've got a couple of thoughts you want to share about all this? Well, my my first thought is is that um, this this conversation is scintillating enough that it's keeping me from birthday cake for my <laughs> wife who's celebrating her 49th birthday today. So awesome. I, I should probably go join the family in just a couple of minutes. Not but, yet, um, Hallie. Just not, happy no, birthday, you know, Hallie. It, it's <laughs> I know, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's such an interesting topic, right? To think about. So, what is the church, and and how do we participate within it, and you know, all of the churches that we could potentially go to in the United States today that would be descended from the Protestant denomination or the protesting of the of the 15th, 16th century, you know, they didn't exist in um, 500, 600 years ago. So what does it mean to be part of the church and how do we think about this sort of thing when most of them are institutions that have been built from a founder who had a, a specific theological difference with a previous church, or um, you know, ultimately they had they had split from the Catholic Church, which Catholic just simply means the universal church worldwide. So it's a tricky thing, Bill, when we talk about these kinds of issues, because ever since uh, Martin Luther did the protesting that he did and banged the theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel and decided he actually didn't want to split from the Catholic Church, he wanted to just simply reform some of the terrible abuses of the Catholic Church at that time, but they deemed him a heretic and kicked him out, so he started a new church movement. Well, from that descended now hundreds and hundreds of churches that if we still use the Yellow Pages in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, you could open up those Yellow Pages and find 440 different denominations in the Minneapolis uh, St. Paul alone. So what is the church? Who is the church? How do we understand the church? Do, can you just go to any church in the in the Yellow Pages and you're part of it, or, or what all happened here? So it's a pretty big topic to get into, and I guess the last piece that I would suggest then is once we moved away from the idea of the Catholic or the universal church, which was a collection of people who all decided to follow Jesus, and they met all around the world um, professing the same kind of faith, once we split up and splintered and divided, it got a lot more complicated. And, I, and I'm not at all advocating for the Catholic Church in saying that. I'm not at all advocating to not be part of the Protestant Church in saying that. But I, I don't think when we lean into Scripture and talk about how you need to be part of Christ's body, that what Scripture was indicating at that time was a splintered-off Episcopalian church in the Minneapolis area or something along those lines. It really was referring to being part of all of the other people who also had been baptized by one spirit into one body, given that one spirit to drink together. And how do we express that is a really interesting question amidst all of the divisions. Well said, Peter. Yeah, good word. You know, many years ago, I kind of got clobbered in the ministry. I don't know if anybody else has ever had that. But I had uh, had an altar call. Now, I'm an oddball Lutheran. I had altar calls occasionally. I always did at rallies, things like that. Had a gentleman come forward, receive Jesus, and then he quit coming to church. So three weeks later, I'm at his house. I couldn't. I tried to call him, finally got over there. I said, Bill, you received Jesus. He says, yes, yes, I did. I said, but you're not coming to church. And he looked at me and he said, you never asked me to do that. And I had to sit back for a moment and think about what I had been doing. Because I had been doing the very typical um you need to repent of your sins and receive Jesus and you'll have eternal life. All true. But that's only half the story. The other half is that we're now called to become mature disciples. And in that process, make disciples. And quite frankly, I don't know how to make disciples apart from other Christians assisting me. And that's really then becomes the church, whether it's a home church, whether it's a community church, whether it is Lutheran or Baptist. 
but we need one another in order for that to happen because uh, I have been privileged to see many people come to Jesus at one time. I can't disciple all of them. I can't multiply the kingdom of God, you know, with 20 people uh, in one short moment. I need other Christians. And I think once I began to understand that, then my attitude began to change. And so now I make sure that when I invite people to receive Jesus, I clarify, you're not only receiving him so they don't go to hell and you go to heaven and have your sins forgiven, but you're committing yourself to being a long lifelong disciple and a lifelong disciple maker with other Christians. And that's really what the church is. It's not the ceremonies. It's not the music. It's not those things. It is the fellowship where together we have one mission, and it is to make disciples of others. Well said, Tom. Tom Parrish. That was really nicely done. You know, when we have watched what has happened in the world in the last 30 days, where we went from a time of incredible uh, prosperity and optimism to a place now where uh, the world has been turned upside down, and people are being taken to the hospital. I mean, my producer, Rebecca, her husband had to go in the hospital. She couldn't go visit. How quickly and how uh, fast things can change and how you can be in a situation now where you could be in intensive care and you might not even have loved ones to come visit you at the most dire moment. So if you are not right with God, if you have not made peace and, and come to your place of need and desperation where you say, I have never come to saving faith in Christ, where I have received Jesus and I've believed on his, his death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm placing my faith and my allegiance in him, and I'm going to cling to him and then grow in my faith through his word. I can't think of a better day than April 2nd, 2020. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, agreed, Bill. If this virus situation doesn't sort of snap us awake, right, from sort of the the dreaminess that we live in and in the falsity of this world, I, what else would, I mean, mm-hmm. is, is there, is there any justification left to put your faith into the things of this world? Um, when we see something like this go on, whether it's a leadership or technology or medicine, all of the things that we might want to try to put our faith into to give us a sense of well-being, we, we have failed utterly in terms of the human race related to that. And it doesn't mean we're not going to find a cure and it doesn't mean this too shall pass, but um, but then what will be the next thing and the next thing? And when you look back through the global history and the patterns in history, never once has there ever been a fully satisfactory answer to the meaning of life that has come from this life. And so this is an opportunity to say, what do I trust? What do I believe in? Is there more than just this life? I certainly hope there is, because if there isn't, then, you know, it's sort of the, the cry of Solomon, right? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And, and why even bother with anything at that point? And you know what I would encourage people to do during this crisis? Just get a little bold. And, I mean, I, I, uh, I years ago, um, when my aunts and uncles started dying, I sent them all a salvation tract saying, you know, I want us to be in heaven together someday. Please, would you read this and make sure you've accepted Christ? And I don't think my mom was real thrilled that I did that because she thought it would offend the relatives, I think. But I'm sure glad I did, because now they're all dead except for one of them. And just if there's if there's ever a time to be bold, it, you know the, the, you know the saying, whoever dies with the most toys wins. I saw a T-shirt that said, whoever dies with the most toys still dies. And we've got <laughs> we've got people thinking about death right now, and I think I would just encourage everybody. I mean, I <clears throat> I have a sister who's 
Uh, she, she goes to an extremely liberal church where the pastor teaches. It's a UCC church where everybody goes to heaven. There is no hell. Jesus is our way, but he's, there are other ways too. And I just got a little bold with her in a text because I have to bite my tongue around her a lot. But this time I just got a little bold with her, and I, I did it with nervousness, wondering what she was going to do back. But maybe this is a time to get a little bold with people. Well, and the reason you get bold, Tom, is for a very simple reason. That kind of rhetoric, that kind of teaching is false. And we all know it's false. Even those who want to believe it know it's false, because deep inside, we're all afraid. Deep inside, we're uncertain about our lives. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What happens when I die? And you get down to it. There are only four or five questions that really matter in life. And we need to be answering those. And that means that when we listen to people, all I have to do now when people call me and I get a lot of phone calls uh, since I was hospitalized and then I went through a six-week recovery. I'm starting to get out now. But people will begin to express their fears without even realizing it. Boy, this coronavirus is really something. I've never seen anything like this. What do you think is going to happen? They're expressing a fear. And that's when you get an opportunity to, to talk to them about what they're fearing and what Jesus offers in return. And I tell you, I've had a lot of receptive audiences already because people really have that fear inside. We know deep inside eternity is built into our heart, as Solomon said, and we need to help people connect with that and not be afraid to tell them about Jesus. When we live with a lot of thoughts that are creating and, and fanning the flame of fear and stress and anxiety, um, we have to figure out a way to compartmentalize some of these thoughts and take these thoughts captive to Christ and then say, I'm going to replace and process the truth uh, over these thoughts because, like Tom, you're saying, these people are showing up scared to death over something they have zero control over. Right, right. One thing I've encouraged people to do is when people would come to me for counseling, and it didn't take long until they were expressing their fears, and I'd actually write them down. I'd say, may I write down? just the fears. I'm not going to show it to anybody. We get done and I'd hand it to them. And then I'd say, now, over the next week, I want you to start scanning the Bible. And I'm going to do the same thing. And let's see what Jesus says about those very things. And by the end of usually several weeks together, uh, and I've had people actually hang this in their home when they got done, they would have like five major fears on one side, but they'd have five biblical answers where people talk about, I'm afraid to die. But then they would find the verse that says, I am the resurrection of the life. And once you start getting the contrast and seeing what Jesus says about this, instead of what I say about it, it gives you a lot of peace. But most people never get there. And I want to direct people to get there and to see that. Yeah, I remember, Bill, when I was um, back at university a number of years ago and just riddled with anxiety and fear about stuff. And, And boy, that really does just keep you up at night. And I don't know, an anonymous person who must have known some of what I was going through at the time, I left a little note in my in my post office box, and it was from First Peter five seven, where it says, uh, "Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you." And and boy, you know that can be both sort of a cliche passage, but if you just give it a shot, I mean, if you actually try it, and I remember I did, I said, "You know what, God, I clearly can't handle this anxiety of my own and this fear that I'm working with. I'm going to give it over to you and uh, and trust you with this instead." And it's a little. I mean, <laughs> I don't always know the mysterious ways in which God intersects with our lives. But it was unusual, the peace that began to come across my soul 
that even though the circumstances did not change at all in that, and so often I'm wanting to pray for a change in my circumstances, and again, understandably so, but I think one of the great secrets and mysteries of life in Jesus's kingdom is that there's a capacity to experience peace even if the circumstances don't change, but it does take an active move on our part to say, you know what, I'm riddled with this fear that I can't control, I'm gonna hand it over to you, uh, and then the shepherd comes in and somehow does something with that on our behalf, and, and I'm so grateful. Wow, that's a great story, Peter. I love the comment about being bold too, Tom. I think that's a great reminder for all of us. A listener chimed in with this comment early this morning in the senior line at Costco. My brave sister Ruth stepped out of the line, gave her testimony, shared the gospel, and sang a hymn to everyone. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, they got good for her. Yeah. That's yeah, a that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, let me take a little break. We've got guide talk happening. Let me know if you have a comment or a question. We'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. I really mean I'd love to hear from you. Again, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. Hopefully, we'll still have Dr. Peter Kapsner. If we lose him to birthday cake, I'll understand. talk is happening. Let me know if you have a question or a concern or an issue or a verse you'd like us to discuss. 877-93-FAITH is the text line. We're looking for your text, so feel free to text away. Uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner has now left the room, so it's now down to Pastor Tom Brock and Pastor Tom Parrish. So, gentlemen, thanks for hanging in there with me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we are in a period of uncertainty that many people feel, they have anxiety, they have a little bit of the depression maybe happening. And I'm not saying that's common for people because I know Christians and believers have got a a joy that's a, a contentment in the Lord. But how do we more intentionally pursue contentment during a time when we would otherwise be inclined to maybe spend more time listening to news and listening to more scary statistics and that would erode our contentment. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Tom. Well, you know, Give it a shot. Well, the, what is it, the Isaiah verse? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. And I, you know, now and then in the last couple of weeks, you, you watch enough TV and you almost get a little bit of terror in your heart, like, ooh, uh, millions are going to die and I'm going to maybe be one of them. And, you know, and maybe it's true. <laughs> but on the other hand, what are we staying our mind on? I mean, I, I, uh, I, my, my daily schedule has been I get up in the morning, I pray, I have my Bible reading, then I exercise, and then I make a bunch of pottery. And while I was making pottery today, I listened to uh, two sermons from 1983. There was a, an old Lutheran saint by the name of Pastor Maynard Force. And just to hear this guy preach 37 years ago, uh, just, you know, it'll just, I think we need to, I I think we need to a little bit watch the news and be very careful what you do during this crisis, but make sure you're spending time in scripture, prayer, 
Uh, call up somebody if you're getting anxious. Talk it through with a Christian. Uh, but if you got a good hobby, get into that. I mean, think of all the stuff you've wanted to do and you never could because you had to go to work. Well, read that book now or, you know, sew that apron, <laughs> whatever. Get your mind off of some of this because it can get overwhelming. I, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon uh, thee. And Isaiah, I think. It's, I think it's 26.3. And Tom, when you're in your garage doing pottery, I mean, you're you're in a pretty happy place, aren't you? I am. I've been having fun during this crisis. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I'm, so, you know, uh, I, again, I like to always think, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, the, the worst can happen, I get this thing, I die. Okay, then I go to heaven. Oh, the best thing has happened. So <laughs> just, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant or Pollyanna no, about it, but if if we can look death in the face, realize my sins are forgiven through Christ, even if the worst happens, the best happens, and then try to use this time to be bold for Christ and and, and not to lose your joy. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Tom Perry. Well done, Tom. I remember many years ago in the church I was serving, I think we had bought like 50 of these Bible promise books. It just has the promises, you know, a single verse or two. Mm-hmm. And we had passed those out, and I was really excited about that. About six months later, a woman coming out of church, she literally grabbed me by the lapel. And she says, where is this peace of God that you talk about that passes all understanding? And she was angry. And uh, I went to the Bible promise book, and yeah, the verses in there, Philippians 4, 7. The problem was it didn't have verses 4, 5, and 6 to go with it. And here's our problem. We want the peace of the Lord. We want contentment in these times, but we don't take seriously the admonition that he gives us. And I was looking at Philippians 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And now verse 7, and then, now the word then isn't there, but you can really add it. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible has laid out in so many places the process by which we get the very things we want. The problem is we go to the conclusion before we look at the process that has to come about. And I, I've had six weeks where I've sat at home after surgery on my foot. I had to keep my foot above my heart for six weeks. And uh, that's now ending. And so I'm up hobbling around now. But those six weeks were good because, guys, it forced me to go back into the Bible and look at passages I memorized a long time ago, but to look at the verses before and the verses that came after. And in some of those, I now have a deeper and I think richer understanding of God's Word. That's beautiful, Tom. Go ahead, and Bill, can, can I ask this from both for both of you? Yeah. When do you think was the most stressful night of Jesus' life? Well, the most I, stressful night of Jesus' life. Yeah. I'll, I'll let the pastor go first, and then I'll give the right answer. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the scriptures, of course, <laughs> show him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, that's uh, what a thought. strain that was. And that's what I would say is probably the biggest stress that the Bible shows. How about you, Bill? Yeah, I, would, I was going to say the same thing. Okay. I mean, then, then just one more question. What did Jesus do to handle his stress that night? You mean after sweating blood? Yes. <laughs> before, right before and right after sweating blood, what did he do to get him through that stress? Well, he went and prayed three times. He prayed? He got, got on his knees three times. Okay, he, he prayed. He went back what and else? talked to his disciples. All right, he got And he said, your will be done, your will be yep. done not mine. He submitted to God. He, he prayed. 
and he got his disciples around him. He took the three yeah. closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the garden. Now, they let him down, but he's still surrounded. If you look at why Jesus appointed the 12, it says, and he called 12 disciples to be with him. So even Jesus, the God-man, needed human beings. And I think, too, if, if somebody is listening to this and you're really getting stressed out over this whole coronavirus stuff, make sure you have a Christian you can call on the phone. And when you get too anxious, you can just talk it through with them and have somebody pray with you. Because if Jesus needed his friends, so do we. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember 1997, there was a movie came out called The Apostle starring, uh, starring Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. Did you guys yep. see that movie by any chance? And the opening sure s- scene of the movie was really interesting. There was a tragic car accident, and the driver of the car was dying. And Robert Duvall, who played a preacher, uh, pulls his car over, races down, and tells the person about Jesus and about how important it is to uh, make peace with God and, and give your life to Christ. And the guy did, and then he died. Mm. And mm. the trooper looked at him and said you don't think anything even happened, do you? And he goes, oh, yeah, I do. Mm. And the question, sure question that just came in from a listener is, uh, for some time now I've been asking pastors if someone who accepts Christ as their Savior and does nothing more than that is truly saved and is going to heaven. I still don't have a definitive answer. There are many verses that seem to prove both sides. I think I, 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 all you need... True or false, all you need to be saved is believe in Jesus. The answer is true. Uh, Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, doesn't say, and go to church and be real good and travel hard. Right. So it is true. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. However, again, I'm going to say it. Once we're saved by grace alone, God puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit will not let you live like you used to live. And if you and are a good living thing. like you used to live, yeah, it's a it's a blessing to get us out of the garbage dump. So I, I, all you have to do is believe in Christ to be saved. True, but you need it's believing in Christ, not about Him. Mm-hmm. It's believing in Him. You're putting your trust in Him, and that changes your life. Yeah, I agree. Uh, our our good works don't save us, but they're the evidence we have been saved. Of course. Well, it's kind of like if you think about it, who is Jesus? He says that He is the groom. And the church is what? The bride. He uses that understanding of a marriage or a covenant to talk about his relationship with us. I've never done a wedding yet where I've had a bride or a groom stand up there and say, I'm going to be faithful to you 50% of the time. No, they're all 100% committed in the relationship. They don't even think about not being committed or not being part of this relationship. And I find it interesting that we have allowed people to get away with this idea that I can receive Jesus but I don't have to be part of the church. I don't have to be mm-hmm. a disciple maker. I don't need to be a disciple because that is a total misunderstanding of a living relationship. It is not simply a transaction where we go and we pay so much money and then we get our product with Jesus. We are building a relationship because he came looking for us before we went looking for him. So my response to that woman is simply this. Um, yep, you can find verses on both sides. But I am very leery of the verses that say he who endures to the end will be saved. And the mm-hmm. ones that talk about faithfulness and, and confessing Jesus uh, throughout your entire life. I think those are vitally important, and we'd rather skip those and rather grab onto the ones that say it's all assured. But I think there's more to it than that. I think it's a living, ongoing, daily relationship. And, of course, I always think of the thief on the cross and saying to Jesus, will you remember mm-hmm. me? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Amen. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing, and that's uh, salvation Phenomenal. by grace and grace alone. And I always say you don't have to do things you get to. You want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. It makes your life full. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think C.S. Lewis said, I find uh, happiness in my peripheral vision. When I'm serving somebody and engaged in ministry, I kind of look to both sides and go, wow, I'm really happy right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, here's how I live out my relationship with Jesus. And I pray a lot, just like you guys do. Well, you know, ultimately, how do I learn patience? Is it asking Jesus for more patience? Or is it putting up with church members that drive me crazy? You know, do I learn more about Jesus by saying, Lord, infuse my mind with your word? Or do I then have to sit down and read the word? In other words, growing in our relationship with Jesus is not just a expecting him to do something, which he's already done in full, of course, but it's now responding in a very personal way back to him uh, by loving, serving, caring for one another, and proclaiming his name whenever we're given the opportunity. Yeah. Gentlemen, it's been a great uh, hour. Thank you so much for joining the program and being part of this discussion. I know the the listeners have loved it. Pastor uh, Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, my appreciation, and also to Pastor or or Dr. Peter Kapsner, who joined for the first three quarters of the show. Thank you so much. Coming up in hour two, I'll be joined by Bob Moeller, and he is a a relationship uh, counselor expert. We're going to have a great hour with him. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.